This afternoon, we are looking at what Scripture teaches regarding the Seventh Commandment as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 41 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 41. What does the Seventh Commandment teach us? That all unchastity is cursed by God. We must therefore detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives both within and outside of holy marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and similar shameful sins? Since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. Thus far, we're reading from Lord's Day 41. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The following advice is advice I would certainly never personally give to you on my own. But you might hear it from time to time. And that advice is this. Life is short. Have an affair. Now, I have trouble even getting those words out of my mouth. It's disgusting. It's despicable. And that's the tagline for the despicable adultery-promoting website, Ashley Madison. Now, in July of 2015, Ashley Madison's website was hacked by a group called the Impact Team. And uh, the leaked data revealed millions of user accounts worldwide. Millions. Now, you would think that the data breach would have shut the company down for good, but it has survived. The company did try to rebrand itself after the, the first hack using the new tagline, Find Your Moment. But recently, they brought the old one back, Life is Short, Have an Affair. On the site is apparently thriving once again. If you needed any confirmation that marital unfaithfulness is a problem in our world, well, there you go, there it is. Well, God certainly knew our sinful hearts when he gave us the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. But of course, this commandment, as we read from the Catechism as well, does not only speak of marital unfaithfulness, it speaks about the whole area of human sexuality. God not only forbids adultery, but he also commands us to keep our bodies pure and holy for his glory and for our neighbor's good. So as I preach to you God's word about the seventh commandment, I'll do so under the following theme and points. In the seventh commandment, God commands us to keep our bodies pure and holy. And we'll see that this commandment speaks about first, guarding against adultery, second, controlling ourselves completely, and third, how we use technology. As mentioned in the introduction, the Ashley Madison website shows how prone 
how prone sinful human hearts are to commit adultery. Now, as believers, we have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. We've been given new spiritual life, a new nature. We can live lives of obedience. We have not yet been made perfect. We've not yet been made perfect. That means every day we have to do battle against our sinful nature and the temptations that come with it. And for us, for us who are married, adultery is a sin we, we have to be on guard against every day. And if we, are, if we think we are immune to adultery, then all we have to do is remember King David. He was a man after God's own heart, what happened? He gave into temptation. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. So no one is immune to adultery. We have to, be, we have to watch and pray and guard our hearts. Now, in order to guard ourselves against adultery, it's help, helpful to see that, that adultery, it, it follows a particular pattern. And adultery just doesn't happen out of the blue. No, there's a progression to it. If we are aware of this pattern, we can learn to spot it in our own lives. And then we can quickly, quickly leave the path of adultery. Now, the following pattern and progression of, of adultery is described by Christian author Thomas Nelson. And the beginning of the marital unfaithfulness often occurs when someone puts his or her marriage on autopilot. Maybe you already think, wow, that, that's me. A couple neglects their relationship. They stop developing intimacy. A husband and a wife, they simply take each other for granted. Instead of working to build love in a marriage, a couple, they become complacent. And when complacency sets in, then love and joy in a relationship, it can, it can begin to fade. It can begin to fade away. And this can bring a couple to the point where they only see faults in their spouse. They only see faults in their spouse. When they don't even want to develop into some intimacy anymore either. Now, it can be easy to reach that point in a marriage if, if you don't work at it, if you are married. How many of those married among us are guilty of putting their marriage on autopilot or neglecting their spouse? Perhaps you thought a happy marriage would just be automatic, but it's not that way. No, a successful marriage, it takes energy, it takes, takes work, it, it takes commitment. Now, if you neglect your spouse or put your marriage on autopilot or only see faults, in your spouse, you've put yourself in danger to committing adultery. The pattern of adultery progresses from there in this way. You will inevitably come across someone to whom you are attracted. Perhaps you will meet someone who has a strength where your spouse has a weakness. Perhaps there will be some sort of physical appeal or emotional appeal that you don't find in your spouse. Whatever it might be, that, that person you meet, 
might seem to promise to fulfill the deficiency you see in your spouse or in your marriage. And that's where you really need to be on guard. That's where you really need to watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. For if you do not watch and pray, you can, you can begin to enjoy that, that new relationship you have with someone who's not your spouse. And then we can then enter into a dream world where we imagine a relationship with that person that, that's full, free from all trouble and, and full of joy, which of course is a lie from Satan. But this, if this happens, we've already begun to listen to Satan's lies and we, we need to shake ourselves out of that trance. If we do not, then things can progress from there. We could easily allow this person to take up the emotional space in our heart that should be devoted to our spouse. Perhaps you might find yourself doing a little bit of casual flirting. That's only flirting with disaster. No, your heart is supposed to be reserved for your spouse. See, flirting with someone who's not your spouse only strengthens the emotional bond between you and someone who, whom you're not married to. And the pattern of adultery progresses from there. If those bonds strengthen enough, sooner or later, a person will then express their feelings in one way or another, even if it's done subtly. Perhaps they might complain about their husband or wife in front of this person to see how they react. And that in itself, it's, it's way out of line. We have to see this, the progression of adultery. Get ourselves off it. A person who gets a positive response from someone else will, will get bolder as time goes on, and, and often full-blown adultery is, is right around the corner. So that is the pattern and progression of adultery. And it's good for us to, to know that, to see it. And then we can spot it in our, in our own lives and get off that path and repent as soon as possible and see the danger that we're in. And instead, we should turn again to our spouse and, and love them anew. Although those who are married will ex experience trouble in this life, yet, yet through the renewing power of the Spirit, there can be great join a marriage. There can be, even where there was friction. The Spirit of God who, who renews creation, the Spirit of God who is the Lord and giver of life, the Spirit of God who regenerates sinful hearts, He has the power to work new life in your marriage. He does. Look to Him. Trust in Him. Call to Him. Call to your God and Father. Ask your Savior to bless your marriage. A marriage that reflects the relationship between Christ and His church, that, that marriage will experience joy. It will. And that's something worth working towards. Brings us to our second point. So we do well to remember that a person not only commits adultery when they're unfaithful to their spouse, the Lord teaches us also what further adultery looks like. He taught us this in the Sermon on the Mount. We read from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He says, Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Those are penetrating words, aren't they? And that's the, that teaching of our Lord Jesus, you can see it reflected in Lord's Day 41. There we confess, God not only forbids outright adultery, but he also forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thought, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. And that's, that's a high calling right there. And that also, it, it covers everything in our lives. See, that the seventh commandment speaks about controlling ourselves completely from, from head to toe, from inside and out. And we heard that from 1 Thessalonians 4 as well. This is what we read. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is the will of God, Paul writes. Your sanctification. What is sanctification? It's a process by which we become more holy and, and set apart from sin to God. It's the war against our sinful nature and, and those old sinful desires. Sanctification, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is at work within us to make us holy in ourselves. He sets us apart from sin that we might serve God. And so as I speak about self-control here in the second point, we must keep our eyes on the Holy Spirit. We don't have the power in ourselves. We need power from God. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. We must look to the Spirit for the power to live apart from sin. So Lord's Day summarizes the high standard of God controlling ourselves completely, and so often this begins with our eyes. Our eyes. In one sense, our eyes are so easy, easy to control. It takes little effort. And moving them only one millimeter shifts your focus from one thing to another. It's so easy to move your eyes. But at the same time, this makes him also so difficult to control, doesn't it? Lustful glances take little effort. And most of the time, no one really notices either. On the flip side, moving our eyes to avoid lustful glances, moving away from lustful glances, that takes so much effort. Isn't that odd? Have you ever thought about that? The same amount of physical movement with our eyes, just a millimeter, can be so hard and it can be so easy. And that tells us something about ourselves. It tells us something about our hearts. Why can it be so easy to look, but so hard to look away? Well, it's because of our hearts. That's where sin lies. That's where sin grows. And our sinful hearts, they tell us that Lustful glances, they're no big deal. Our hearts tell us, just look this once and after that, I'll be satisfied. You know what? Sin doesn't work that way. It doesn't. Sin might start off small, but it, it always aims for the maximum. 
That's what sin does. Sin's goal is to grow. Sin doesn't want to stay small. Sin wants to grow. And that's why controlling our eyes, for example, is so important. Looking lustfully at someone does not satisfy a desire. No, it causes those desires to grow. It only feeds the flesh. It's like putting another log on, on, a, on a fire. It just increases it, makes it grow. Instead, we should put on the attitude of Job. Job says in, in Job 31, verse 1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. Is that the desire of your heart? As we learn to control our eyes one instance at a time, we, we begin to, to starve the desires of the flesh. And as a result, they begin to diminish. Remember again the image of a fire. If you, if you stop throwing pieces of wood on a fire, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die down. Keep that in mind. And if you find yourself unable to control your eyes, then you need to take the words of Jesus Christ to heart. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, then gouge it out. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole person to go into hell. Yes, Christ is speaking figuratively here. But he uses such strong language to get our attention. He says you might need to go radical lengths to cut sin out of your life. You might have to do that. Think about that. In 2003, outdoorsman Aaron Ralston got into an accident while on a hike in Utah. And suddenly he found himself trapped with his hand caught under an 800-pound boulder. And after waiting five days without any help, he finally became so desperate that he, he amputated his own forearm so he could get away, he could free himself. It's the only thing he could do to save his life. Jesus calls us to develop that same sort of attitude toward things that cause us to sin. He says the stakes are too high. Do what you need to do. Cut it out of your life. Now, controlling ourselves completely means not only controlling every part of our body, but it also means controlling ourselves at all times. We should ask ourselves, do we act one way while we are in public and another way while we are in private? Are you a self-controlled person while you're at home, but while you're at work and while you're with friends, you become another person or, or maybe the other way around? Admiral Nelson was a commander in the British Navy in the 18th century. He made many voyages away from England. He once said that as a ship full of sailors sailed past Gibraltar, every man became a bachelor. Of course, they weren't actually bachelors. He was saying that once these sailors were put in a situation where it was just them and the other sailors around them, and as they sailed away from their homes... From England, they, they became different people. And when they came into a port far away, they acted like they had no accountability to anyone. They acted one way while they were at home in England, and they acted another way at sea on a voyage. 
good to reflect on that. Does that describe our life in any way? Do we act differently in different locations? Total self-control requires that we control ourselves at all times and in all situations, whether we are at home, whether we are with other people, whether we are by ourselves, it doesn't matter. God calls us to control ourselves at all times. Brings us to our last point. Now, in the last number of decades, we've witnessed a technological revolution. New technology allows us to do wonderful things, and and that in, in itself is not evil. Yet, like most inventions, it can also be used for evil purposes. And that is certainly true for the Internet and computers and the like. Of course, one way God's gift of the Internet is twisted is by the ever-present evil of pornography. People used to have to go into a store and purchase something like pornography. Such an act required a lot more effort and also risk. But now, pornography just comes right to you. It comes into your home. It comes onto your phone. Just a click of a mouse, a touch of a screen, that's all it takes. Pornography is right there. And that can certainly present a challenge for, for all of us here. I also think of the parents among us. If you have children, then perhaps when you were your children's age, you didn't even have the internet. Or if you had the internet, then you might have even just had dial-up. And if you don't know what dial-up is, then ask somebody 20 years older than you. And things change so rapidly, it's, it's hard to keep track of it all. And the advent of the smartphone, it, it makes things even more difficult. And yet, parents, you need to come up with a plan to, to guide your children to use the internet safely. You do. Don't wait until they're teenagers. That's too late. Teach them as soon as they can use a device. Teach them right then and there. Of course, it can be perhaps intimidating to try to guide your children through technological advances that that you yourself are unfamiliar with. You need to educate yourself then. You need to take the time to, to educate yourself so that you can educate your children. You have to do that. What kind of apps are they are they using? Look at the apps that they're using. Investigate the positives and and the potential dangers of of using such apps. And children or or teenagers, if you have a smartphone, you need to be open with your parents. You need to be open with your parents about this sort of thing. It's not just yours. No, you have to be open with them. That's just the way it is. Your parents are not trying to needlessly pry into your life. They're, They're doing it out of love. You need to be open. Of course, we could end up being paranoid and ban all technology from our homes, but that's not the root either. Computers, laptops, smartphones, they are here to stay. So we need to learn to use them wisely. You can't simply blindfold your children or shield them from every danger. But children and teenagers still need instruction. Handing a smartphone to your teenage son without any instruction or control, it's not a good idea. 
You can give your child a table saw for their birthday. And they might use that table saw for many good purposes, but they might also hurt themselves really badly. In fact, if you don't give them any instruction on how to use that table saw, they're probably, they're, they're going to hurt themselves. It's the same thing with a smartphone. And in fact, a smartphone in many ways is more dangerous than a table saw. That's how you have to view it. You might think to yourself, well, my son or daughter would never look at something like that. And, and maybe you're right. Maybe they wouldn't purposefully go looking for it. But it's so easy to run across it accidentally. When it's discovered accidentally, it can easily grow from there. In fact, for many people addicted to pornography, that's how, it's, that's how it started. They, they were exposed to it as a child. And just, it grew from there. No matter how it happens, for those struggling with pornography, it can be so difficult to fight against it. And maybe that's you. Maybe as I speak about pornography this afternoon, maybe I'm speaking right into your heart. You know the struggle. Pornography is enslaving. Remember, pornography... It might promise freedom, but it's not going to give you freedom. Satan wants to make you his slave. That's what he wants. But even if it's difficult to fight your way out of pornography, it's not impossible, and you need to believe that. If you are struggling with pornography, you need to believe it's not impossible to free yourself. If you're struggling against pornography, much of the time the struggle might just feel impossible. Like you'll never be free from it. And when you're in that state of mind, then Satan comes to you and he attacks you. Do you know what he says to you? He says this, it's useless to put up a fight. Look at how many times you have failed already. You know it's only a matter of time before you fall again. Isn't that how it can feel? And you might be tempted to believe that. For all, look at how many times you've fallen before. But without any hope in the battle, you'll only despair and give in. What's the point in fighting if, if it's useless to fight? Don't think that the battle against pornography begins when you're behind a screen. It doesn't. It, the battle begins with thoughts like these. It's not just a battle against lust, but a battle of faith. Remember and believe who your God is. He's all-powerful. He's greater than anything. The, the Holy Spirit is more powerful than your lustful heart. The God who created the world just by the power of His Word also has the power to change your heart and your life. You need to keep calling out to Him, even if you even if you've fallen 8,000 times already. Maybe you wonder why he doesn't just flick a switch and, and your battle would be over. That battle will be over only when the Lord Jesus returns. And while we are in this life, he doesn't just evaporate our sinful desires, but he calls us to fight. To fight while calling on him for strength every day. He can give you the strength for each day. He can. 
Thinking, thinking about this battle for the rest of your life, that's too difficult. Think about this one day. God calls you to fight today. It's God's job to take care of the future. We not only need to battle this sin while calling upon God, but we also need the help of other people. See, the, the battle against pornography, it's so often a lonely battle. And that's how Satan wants it. Just you on your own. It's hard to, to admit to someone that you struggle in this way because of the shame involved with this sin. And that's why the church needs an atmosphere where you can tell another person about your struggle and not be rejected. We need to put on that atmosphere of, of course, we're all sinners. No one is immune to sin. But if you are struggling against pornography right now, you need help. You do. You need to tell someone. You need to tell someone. In fact, think about it right now. Who you're going to tell, when you're going to tell them. You need to tell someone. Talk to a trusted friend. Talk to an elder. Talk to a pastor. Talk to a teacher. Maybe your parent. Tell someone. They can help you in the battle. You can't do it on your own. And if someone comes to you saying they struggle against pornography, you need to take that seriously and compassionately. You cannot simply offer them or apply such, you know, thanks for telling me I'm going to pray for you. Yes, pray for them, but you need to do more. You need to walk beside them for the long haul. Every week, every week you need to, to keep in contact and keep them accountable. Encourage them. Every week, you need to be with them for the long haul. And there's help out there. A program like Covenant Eyes installed on all your devices can be a great help. It sends a, a report to an, to an internet, of your internet usage to your accountability partner can be a great help. Whatever avenue you take, don't try to fight this battle alone in isolation. And in the middle of your struggle, you also need to keep your eyes and your thoughts fixed on your Savior, Jesus Christ. See, lustful thoughts cannot simply be removed. They need to be replaced. Let me say that again. Lustful thoughts cannot simply be removed. They need to be replaced. You need to be replaced with thoughts about Christ and, and the gospel of grace. Fix your thoughts on your Savior and what he's done for you in the cross. It's in the cross of Christ that, that all your sins are paid for. Also the sin of pornography. See, one drop of Christ's blood, one drop of his blood is enough to purify you from all the filth that you might have fallen into, even if you fall into it every day. One drop of his blood purifies you whiter than snow. And through your union with Christ, your Lord, he covers you with his righteousness. He covers all of your shame in the sight of God can't fight pornography by simply getting angry at it or, or frustrated at it. You need to flee to Christ and fix your thoughts on Him. 
You also need to seek his help in prayer. He's our only mediator. Perhaps when you hear Jesus' words in Matthew 5, you shrink back from seeking his help. Listen to what he says in in Matthew 5. He says, a, a person who looks at a woman lustfully commits adultery within his with her in his heart. And he so radically tells us, if, you're, if your eye causes you to sin, then gouge it out. When you hear those words, maybe you think, wow, that's really cold. How could the person who says those words understand my struggle that I face every day? That, of course, is wrong. Listen to Hebrews 4, verse 15. In Jesus Christ, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That means that your great high priest, Jesus Christ, he's not going to coldly turn away, turn you away when when you come to him for help. He will not turn you away. He sympathizes with your weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be tempted by sin, tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin, says Hebrews 4. And that means, yes, he also faced temptation against the seventh commandment, and yet without sin. Hebrews 4 then encourages us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In your time of need, run to God's throne of grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now also sing together hymn 42, which is based on Hebrews 4. Let us sing together stanzas 2, 4, 5, and 6.